0: Amen. Amen. Can you hear the Spirit calling today for hearts to join together, arms to join together, voices to join together, to be one world, one world in Christ? Today, that was not just an anthem. That was a proclamation. That was an affirmation. And where did you hide the other 25 voices? You sounded... <laughs> like 50 voices today and uh, we would invite you, I can hear you all singing, to show up on Tuesday night and sing with the Sanctuary Choir or the Gospel Ensemble. We have lots of options. It's lots of fun. It's a great way to build relationships. It's a great way to be community. So what are you doing Tuesday night? (laughs) Love to see you here. (laughs) God does call us to this wonderful celebration God calls us to do the hard work of spiritual transformation, and our neighborhood and our world is hungering for connected hearts and partnerships. The very thing that is at the very heart of our passion as a congregation is at the heart of the world's need. You've really not experienced resurrection until you have experienced resurrection at the pride parade. You see a whole different side of people at the Pride Parade. You see, for example, uh, Mark Eggleston, the mechanic. And I was totally blown away when I looked up. We had this great big rig, this great big truck, this big flatbed. We had 16 voices singing. And who was behind the wheel? Reverend Kristen, the truck driver. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I knew when I met Reverend Kristen that she was not someone to mess with. Now I know she is not someone to mess with. And we were all just singing and dancing and working our way down the street. And one of our members, I mean, I'd seen her in red lipstick. I'd seen her in red hills. I'd seen her in red dresses. But I tell you what, girlfriend pulled out some moves that must have been from the 50s, some moves were from the 60s, some moves were from the 70s, some moves were from the 80s, some moves were from the 90s, and some moves had yet to be invented. Get on down here. Our own disco queen, show us some of those moves. All right. (laughs) And she was doing this while singing. It was unbelievable, all the way down before you Terry not yet come back down here all right show us one of those moves we have never seen before Woo! <laughs> <laughs> all the way down baby <laughs> I was so proud of Resurrection and our over 50 participants wearing the bright blue Would Jesus Discriminate t-shirts. I mean, it was a celebration, but we also left that question dangling right out there in the air. Would Jesus discriminate? And looking around that crowd last night, from the families gathered on the curbs with their coolers, to the people in their feather boas, (laughs) the Mardi Gras beads and pride beads, The answer was very clear last night. Would Jesus discriminate? No. No way. God has created us to be a people who know how to celebrate, who know how to live from the depths of who we are, and to work for spiritual transformation. It was an incredible joy. I went to my first pride parade, participated in my first pride parade 20 years ago in 1989. And I found myself thinking back to 1989, and part of what came to me was we really have come a long way. I was living in Washington, D.C., In the week of our march, there had been a number of bashings in the very neighborhood where we were conducting our march. And so there was a sense of fear in the air, and police barricades had been set up between the protesters and those of us who were marching And there was a sense that even as we were celebrating and bearing witness to life and truth and transformation, there was this sense that we had to constantly look over our shoulder. It was beautiful last night. Nobody was looking over their shoulder. Just truly celebrating. I had a chance to speak with a number of folks who were in their very first pride parade. And how amazing it is just to to experience that, to experience the joy of this is my first time. I'm so glad to be here. I remember a reporter coming to me that night in Washington, D.C., and I guess he could see the fear on my face or the sense of of anxiety. And he said, "This this is your first march, isn't it? And I could tell that it was showing. But I can tell you nothing could stop me from being present for that moment. We have so much to celebrate. We have come so far. And it was beautiful to see the youth and the celebration and the joy and the energy last night and the passion of our community. And yet, we have so much yet to accomplish. It's important to stop and celebrate. And yet, our work is not done. And celebration that is not balanced in realism is denial. So yes, we're called to celebrate, but we must not deny that we have incredible work yet to do. So much yet to accomplish if you read this week's Houston Chronicle on Thursday, you see some of the work we have to do. It was a congregation in Connecticut that spent 20 minutes, it's on video, trying to cast out the homosexual demon from a 16-year-old in this congregation. This has just happened. It was in Connecticut, and some of the description that was in this newspaper article describes the venom and the toxicity in that congregation, The article says that while they were laying hands on this 16-year-old, and by the way, laying on hands is an ancient Christian rite that's about healing. Well, this was about oppression and abuse. While they were laying hands on him, they were shouting out things like, rip the homosexual demon from his throat. Come out, you homosexual demon, you homosexual spirit. We call on you right now. Loose your grip, Lucifer. This was all going on while organ music was playing. As they handled the youth, another person in that congregation said, before you touch him, make sure you have your gloves. The pastor of the congregation, Patricia McKinney, was quoted as saying, he was dressing like a woman and everything. Robin McHalen of True Colors, it's an organization that works for human rights, particularly for youth, said, what saddens me is the people that are doing this think they are doing something in the kid's best interest when in fact they're murdering his spirit. Resurrection MCC, our work is unfinished. Our work is unfinished as long as there is a congregation anywhere that would see its calling to cast out the homosexual demon. Our work is unfinished that we might be a place where a young person age 16 looking for support might find a church that instead of trying to cast out demons would instead embrace and open and welcome. The pastor of that congregation said that he was on a part of that congregation, that he came looking for help. What that says to me is that there are not enough churches offering a positive and affirming voice in Connecticut that someone who is 16 years old would know that they would have a place to go where they could be accepted. Instead, they would knock on any door, not knowing what they might find there. What this young man found in that Connecticut church was abuse and oppression. Oh, we are called to do the hard work of creating a safe place for people of all ages, where a young person of whatever age could come and say, who am I? Can you help me know who I am? And for the response to be, you are a beloved child of God. And you're in a place where you will be loved and respected. Our work is to do the education that leads to transformation for lives like this one. Now, it might be easy to say, well, that's way up in Connecticut. What can we do about stuff happening in Connecticut? Our work is unfinished because I have something else to share with you that happened right here in our neighborhood just this week. This week, one of our members was standing in the checkout line at the Kroger on 43rd Street up here in Oak Forest. And while waiting in line, the member of resurrection overheard the clerk in a conversation talking about her tranny neighbor and how her tranny neighbor would go out and mow the yard in women's clothes. They were giggling and joking back and forth, and the member of resurrection heard that clerk then say, whenever my tranny neighbor goes out there and mows the yard, I get my kids to come out and take a look. And I say to my kids, this is what drugs will do to you. This happened just this week, Tuesday night, the Kroger on 43rd Street, right up here in Oak Forest, just a few miles from here. Our work is not complete. Yes, we are called to celebrate, but we are also called to educate, to do the hard work of creating understandings between people and safe places for all people. And what else is difficult in this conversation is that our member is now struggling with their response to the situation. They were so caught off guard by it and so taken back by it that though they wanted to speak and address the situation, they remain silent one of our great challenges is to help each other have the tools to speak out the member said that what they wished they would have said is that's not what drugs will do to you God creates all of us to be different and being transgender is one of the gifts from God they wanted to take a moment to help expand some understanding With that clerk, but they found themselves afraid and silent, unable to speak. One of my prayers for us is that when we leave this place, we will be ready to engage the world around us in transformative relationships and conversations. That when we meet oppression of any kind, whether in the gym or the checkout line, we will have the tools to speak out and to speak up and to create the world we're called to create, that one world that one heart, that place of unity. Our challenge in all of this, again, is to make some choices. We could celebrate and celebrate and yet be in denial. We also could just give in to the feeling of oppression and internalize that and feel like we can't do the work because the work is just too heavy. And I've been in some GLBTQI organizations where there is this sense of shared oppression. And it almost feels like you're never going to get the work accomplished. There's this feeling of discouragement. One of the questions before us is, will the oppression that we meet in our world be a call to action? Or will we give in to that oppression in a variety of ways? I'd like you to hear some thoughts from Chris Glazier. He is a gay writer, gay spiritual writer who has thought a lot about the role of oppression. Hear these words.
1: Some people are a perpetual victim. No one, no thing, no organization can ever be good enough to make up to them for their victimization. Just as we justly urge others to rid themselves of racism, sexism, homophobia, and so on, we have also got to rid ourselves of the rage or pain brought within us by that victimization. This is not the responsibility of our victimizers. They have their own obstacles to the spirit to tend to.
0: So we have a choice. Will we celebrate to the point of denial? No. Will we give in to oppression? No. Rather, we will do the hard work of spiritual transformation, linking arms and helping to create the tools, the spiritual tools that lead to transformation. In other words, there is a job before us and we will work until the job is complete, until wholeness is who we are, until wholeness is what we meet in the world. We will finish the job. And that's the call of scripture today. If you'll look at your scripture today from 2 Corinthians, you will see there a powerful line The Apostle Paul talks about the work that that congregation is called to do. And then the Apostle Paul says, now finish doing it. God has been doing a good work in you. You've taken some positive steps. You've done some great things, but the job is not done. So what are you going to do? Finish doing it. Now finish doing it. For a moment... Make a personal application to that phrase. When you see the phrase, now finish doing it, what do you think of? Maybe you can think of some unfinished work in your own life, some work that you're called to do. Now finish doing it. Perhaps that means that you are called to go ahead and complete that degree that you started. Maybe at some point when working on this degree, you got discouraged and the classes seemed long and the professor was boring and so you decided to take a semester off. And one semester became a second semester and a second semester became a third semester and pretty soon you put that dream on hold. Maybe today the message that you are hearing is now finish doing it. Don't give up. Or maybe some of you today are struggling with your family You've done everything to be positive with your family, to talk about how Christ is in you and and how you are who you are and you want to build those relationships and every time you call, they just hang up the phone or they don't listen or they shut you out. And maybe you've given up on trying to build a strong relationship with your family that has rejected you. Maybe what you're hearing today is this word, now finish doing it. Keep picking up the phone. Keep sending those emails. Keep reaching out. Ask the Spirit to guide you of when to speak and when to be silent. Now finish doing it. Maybe it's your relationship with your partner. You don't know when it happened, but at some point you found yourself drifting apart. Or maybe you didn't even know you were drifting apart, just at some point you realized that there was this icy distance between you. And you've talked about it. You've gotten advice from your friends. You know that the next step is to seek counseling, but for some reason you keep putting it off or you think you can figure it out on your own. And you're still in the relationship, but it's miserable. Hear those words. Now finish doing it. Take the step for health. Take the step for wholeness. Make the move. God holds so much for all of us. But at times, we are called to continue to take steps for our health, our wholeness, and our healing. The same is true for us as a congregation. There are things where we are being called to now finish doing it. About a year ago at this time, we were sitting at a table looking at the lack of support for our children and youth ministry, knowing we were called to offer ministry to children and youth, but not being sure how it would happen. Today, we have a vital and a live children and youth ministry. Thanks to Joel and others who have joined in that vision. There's still a lot of work to do, but today we have a children and youth ministry that we can be proud of. For children are coming, and from an early age, they know their worth. There's no religious abuse happening in our children and youth ministry. Now finish doing it. It's continuing the work for marriage rights, and even though there was the defeat in California, there are now 10% of the states that offer marriage equality. We've made some progress, but we're called to continue that work, to continue to move forward. As individuals and a people, finish what you've begun. Finish it. Continue it. It's not always about that initial excitement of taking on a new task. It's moving through to completion. The challenge that the Apostle Paul was addressing in this particular letter to this congregation was the financial struggle. He had gone to this congregation about a year before he wrote this letter and he told them about some special needs for the Christians in Jerusalem and the people in Cornet they got all pumped up. This is actually an example of a biblical pledge campaign because what he said was we cannot do this real fast, it's going to take your continued support. So the people in Cornith made pledges for the congregation in Jerusalem. Then Paul left. And while he was gone, some problems started happening. Some of them started questioning him. And they all got kind of twisted up in their relationships. And when they got twisted up in their relationships, they quit giving. They weren't following through on their pledges. Paul said, you were all so eager. And now, I need to call you to finish doing it. He wasn't trying to guilt them. He wasn't telling them to feel better. He said, finish what you've begun for the congregation in Jerusalem. It's a message that also applies for us. I found myself when looking at this scripture to say, what's one thing that could help resurrection to be more proud of itself in the God-given sense of the word between now and next year? What we've accomplished in one year in our children and youth is something for us to be proud of. I want to see that continue to grow. But what occurs to me is that what Paul is addressing to this congregation in Corinth also holds true for us. When we're not giving our best, it undercuts our sense of pride. And so Paul is inviting us to give in the best sense of the word. Now, for those of you who are giving at your best, there's a line in this scripture that's so important. If you look at your scripture, it says that in verse 11, your eagerness to begin will be matched by your eagerness to finish according to your means. What Paul is saying here is just give according to your means. And some of you have truly given from your means. Others of you perhaps have had a $50,000 job in the last year and now you're at $18,000. And when you hear calls about giving, you begin to feel guilt because you wish you could do more. This is not addressed to you either. The call here is for each of us simply to look at what God is calling us to do according to our means. Not for any of us to stretch ourselves to the point of misery, but simply to look inside and as an act of love, do our best. If all of us did that starting today, I think that a year from now on Pride Sunday we would find that we truly had something to celebrate because what we're doing as givers will impact our community and increase our ministry so that there will be a place where a 16-year-old can come and find love and acceptance and transformation. When we do our best, God-given pride increases in our lives. We find new ways to love and transform, and it's not about guilt, and it's not about have to, it's about want to. It's about eagerness and desire. It's looking inside and saying, there ain't no stopping me now. And there ain't no stopping us now. Because we know who we are. We know who God's created us to be. And we're going to extend that message in powerful and life-giving ways. It is a choice. And every decision we make strengthens that choice in one way or another a people of God-given pride growing in spiritual transformation, the choices we make. Here's some more from Chris Glazier, because this oppression thing, it can really trip us up and make us close in and, and just become pitiful.
1: The spiritual life gives us an opportunity to assess the damage done to us in our victimization, not so we can ask someone to kiss it and make it better or demand compensation, rather, The spiritual life helps us to take our own inventory and see whether we are returning evil for evil or maybe we see that we are transforming evil into good, first within us and second within our community. The spiritual life helps us to become strong enough to look at the obstacle in our own eyes, in our own woundedness, and then look to the spirit who transforms evil to good healing our wounds from the inside out. Mm.
0: We have what it takes. We have the tools for spiritual health, maturity and transformation and generosity. Each one of us have the tools inside of us. And if we're hurting today, no one's going to come along and kiss it and make it feel better. Did you hear that in the line? It's time for us to put on our big boy pants, our big girl panties, or whatever it is we need to put on. It may be our leather vest, but whatever it is, it is time for us to put on what we need to put on and say, there ain't no stopping us now because we are moving forward as God's transformed people. There is no stopping us because we're hearing the call of the Spirit today to finish what we've done begun. And it's about all of us. All of us. What tool do we have to get quiet, to look inside, to say, I have what it takes because the Spirit's put it in here. And to take the hand of someone nearby and to say, we have what it takes. We have what we need. I'm not alone in this. There ain't no stopping us Now, see yourself in these images because there ain't no stopping us now.